Bowl. <laughs> hey, good morning, everybody. If you're in a home group, you know that when you go to your group meeting, there's a question on there like, what stood out to you most from the weekend message? And if you're in like my home group, they just focus on the weekend service because it's kind of awkward for them because the one who delivered the message is sitting right there next to them. And so I guarantee you, somebody will say, Bible Bowl. Good to see all of you. Thanks for being with us. I want to join everyone who's, uh, or welcome everyone rather, who's joining us online. Grab a Bible and let me hear your pages turning to the book of Proverbs chapter one. And I got to tell you in advance, we're not going to be looking at just one specific passage in the book of Proverbs. We're going to be looking at several different passages. Uh, some of them you won't really be able to keep up with, but we will need our Bibles a little bit later as we wrap up this family values series by talking about Raising our children, in fact, the message title this weekend is What Children Need Most. We spent the first two weekends talking about marriage, and now we're going to talk about parenting. I love the story of the man who said, before I was married, I had three theories about raising children. Now I have three children and no theories at all, and you can probably relate to that. Uh, but the truth is being a parent is such a challenge, and it is getting to be a greater challenge with every passing year, with every new generation. It's becoming more and more Challenging. I think somebody summed that up pretty well when uh, they said or wrote, I can't think of any endeavor in life that has the power to excite you and exhaust you, bless you and break you, delight you and drain you like the task of raising children. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. But in spite of all of the challenges associated with raising children, we need to understand the weight of responsibility that comes with stewarding the lives that God entrusts to us as parents because we only have this really small brief window of time with our children. And once that window of time is closed, once that window of time is gone, we will never ever get it back again. We'll never get a second chance to have a do-over. And while parenting is the task of a lifetime, something that I certainly understand on a deeper level now that my children are grown, how we parent our children in their formative years is absolutely critical when it comes to the choices that they make for their future. And that really takes us to the book of Proverbs, which is filled with the wisdom of God for so many aspects of life, including parenting. And because we always like to make the public reading of Scripture a significant part of our service, I'm going to invite you this morning, if you're able, to go ahead and stand with me. And I'm going to put a couple of verses up on the screen. I'm going to put Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 on the screen, and we're just going to read those verses together. So follow along. Let me hear your voices. Here we go. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask that God, that God would bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Let me talk to you for a moment about the priority of parenting that's found in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Over and over again in the first few chapters of the book of Proverbs, we read these same two words, my son, my son. We just read them together in Proverbs chapter one and verse eight. We'll see them again in Proverbs chapter one and verse 10, chapter one and verse 15, chapter two and verse one, chapter three and verse one, chapter three and verse 11, chapter four and verse one, chapter four and verse 20, chapter five and verse one, chapter five and verse seven. In fact, you have to get all the way to Proverbs chapter eight before you find a chapter in the book of Proverbs that doesn't begin with those two words, my son. And one of the things that we can take from that is the truth that while Proverbs is a book of wisdom, nobody would debate that. Nobody with any familiarity with the book of Proverbs would debate that. While Proverbs is a book of wisdom, the way it is written 
emphasizes the truth that wisdom is meant to be given. Wisdom gained is meant to be wisdom given. Think about that for just a moment. Wisdom gained is meant to be wisdom given. And as you read through the book of Proverbs, it's clear that God intends that that wisdom is given to our children by us as their parents, by fathers and by mothers. A man named Bruce Waltke has written what most people consider to be the premier commentary on the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And as he writes the book, he writes that there is a royal court setting for the book of Proverbs, a royal court setting. And that makes sense when you understand that most of Proverbs was written by King Solomon, who in 1 Kings chapter 3 had a dream where God, can you imagine this happening to you, where God told him, this is 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 5, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 9 by saying, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. So when God told Solomon he could have everything, anything in the world that he asked for, Solomon asked for wisdom. And later in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29, through the very first part of verse 31, we read, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. And then he just says, he was wiser than any other man. That's the reality of Solomon's life. And going back to what Bruce Waltke says about this royal court setting for the book of Proverbs, I can just imagine in my mind a scene where Solomon is seated on the royal throne sharing his wisdom with the people as they come to him with their needs and with their challenges and with their issues and with their problems. But at the same time, in his commentary in the book of Proverbs, Bruce Waltke goes on to write that Proverbs clearly identifies the home. Everyone say home. Home as the setting for a great deal of the wisdom that has been given. And he draws this conclusion that Solomon, in all of his wisdom, remember he was the wisest man, understood the importance of sharing wisdom with Israel's youth by putting his proverbs in the mouths of godly parents. And here's why. Because parenting our children can't be farmed out and it can't be delegated and it can't be outsourced to anyone else because God, in his wisdom, in his wisdom has given that responsibility to fathers and mothers. And that's something that reflects the truth that God knows the significance that parents hold in the lives of their children. No one is more important in the lives of children than their father and their mother. Some of you remember, may remember that many, many years ago, I told you a story one weekend about how when my son Andrew was five, my son Andrew who was just out here doing the communion and the offertory, when he was five, we lived in Houston at the time, and he told me one day, he said, Dad, I want to go fishing. I'm not a fisherman, but I want to be a good dad, right? And so <clears throat> we went down to Walmart, and I bought the cheapest fishing pole I could find. And I also had located one of those places not far from our home, where they advertised a fully stocked fishing pond. And you can go to those places, you can pay a fee, they'll let you in, they'll give you the bait that you need. And here's the thing that stood out to me the most. The big sign said, guaranteed you'll catch a fish, right? 
So, I, I mean, I wanted this to be successful. I wanted it to be a good experience. I wanted it to be a memorable experience because my son wanted to go fishing. So on my day off, we loaded up the car, Sandy and Andrew, who was five, Trisha, who was about two at the time. She was just a little bitty. And we got in the car and we drove off to this fully stocked fishing pond where we were guaranteed that we would catch a fish. We paid our money. We got in. I got the bait. I baited the uh, hook and I threw the line in the water. And here was the responsibility, at least as we began. I was going to throw the line in the water. I was going to hold the fishing pole. I was going to reel in the fish. And when it got close enough to the shore, Andrew had a net on a handle that they had given him there and he was going to scoop the fish out of the water. And so we had this really well-constructed plan. I threw uh, the line into the water. We waited a little while and all of a sudden I got a bite on the line. And he was excited. I was excited. Sandy was excited. Trisha was excited. And so I started to reel in the line. But after a little while, I realized that while I was reeling in the line, nothing was happening. And it didn't matter how fast or furious I was reeling in the line, nothing was happening. And the problem was, uh, and probably a lot of you people already know what the problem was, and I, I didn't know anything about fishing, I didn't know anything about fishing poles, but the weight of the line and the drag on the, on the reel was not strong enough to pull in this gigantic catfish that we had hooked on the other end. I mean, gigantic. And he was excited. He was jumping up and down. He was ready with his net to, to scoop that fish up out of the water. And I didn't know what to do. And so finally, I just looked around. And I had a pretty good space behind me. So I just started taking a step back and pulling that fish out of the water. I'd take a step back and I'd pull. I'd take a step back and I'd pull. And I literally backed up about 30 or 40 yards and pulled that fish out of the water. It got to the edge of the water where it was close enough. Andrew got his net. He reached down and he scooped it up and he pulled it out. And he was so excited and he dropped it on the ground. And I'm back here about 30 or 40 yards. This is a summer in Houston. And I'm bent over. I'm sweating bullets and I'm sucking wind like somebody you never saw before. And he runs up to me. You know, I'm down like this. He runs up to me. He's five years old. He gets right here in front of me. He gets his face right up next to mine. He looks at me. He said, Dad, you're the greatest fisherman I know. <laughs> Now, that will always be one of my favorite parenting memories for a lot of different reasons, but one of them is the reminder of how much our children look up to us as their parents and how much they trust us as their parents and how much of their life they find from us as their parents. And in the context of the world that he lived in as a five-year-old boy, I was the greatest fisherman he knew because I was his dad, and he learned about the world and saw the world through me. And what's really special to me is I've seen that same kind of innocence and that same kind of honesty in his children today as they look at him as their dad. If you're a parent, you simply cannot outsource your parenting responsibility to someone else. And you can't think for even a second that your children will be okay on their own because they won't. You can't think that. You know what that is? That's foolishness, but it's even more than foolishness. It's gross spiritual negligence and responsibility or irresponsibility. And there's no excuse because you need to do whatever you need to be the father, the Christian, the godly father, and the godly mother that they need you to be. My wife, Sandy, didn't grow up going to church. She never went to church with any regularity at all in her life until she was in her late teens. In contrast to her, I grew up going to church my entire life. And so when we got married, there was a, there was a big difference there between our, our spiritual backgrounds and our knowledge of the Bible and things like that. And when our kids came along, she really wanted to make sure that they knew all of the familiar stories of the Bible that I had known in my heart since I was little. 
But she wasn't familiar with all those stories. And so what she did was she went out and she bought a children's Bible story book. And every night she read that children's Bible story book to our children and they learned the stories of the Bible together. Because when you're a parent, you do whatever you need to do to be the influence that God calls you to be in the lives of those children. One of the verses from the book of Proverbs that we are so familiar with when it comes to parenting is Proverbs chapter 22 and verse six. We'll put it up on the screen. Read it with me. Let me hear your voices. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. We've heard that verse over and over again. I know I've heard that verse over and over again in my entire life. Before I say anything else about that, though, we sh I probably should say this. When it comes to the Proverbs, we should have a good understanding of what the Proverbs actually are. The Proverbs are guidelines, they're wise observations, they're general truths, uh, in, in the sense that if you do the things they say, uh, for the most part, in most normal circumstances, what they say is going to happen, but they are not absolute promises, because there can be exceptions to these statements. You can do all the right things, but because we live in a sinful, fallen, and broken world, sometimes you won't get the exact result that they talk about, but that doesn't diminish the power of the Proverbs or the importance of them in our lives. And it doesn't diminish what Proverbs 22, six is saying when it says, train a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. But let me tell you the thing about that verse that stands out to me the most. It's that single word train. And the reason why it stands out to me the most is because in the original language of the old Testament, it's a Hebrew word that carries two ideas. The first idea is the idea of a ritual commitment. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from, or turn from it, rather. It carries the idea of a ritual commitment. What that means is it carries the idea of someone being set apart for a sacred and holy purpose, and we need to view our parenting and the responsibility of parenting that way because, again, we have this small window of time with our children and what we need to do while they're in our homes under our day-to-day -day care is prepare them, set them apart for the life that God has for them. Not the life the world has for them, but the life God has for them. The second meaning that's carried by that Hebrew word translated train here in our English Bibles is the idea of teaching and instructing toward a specific expectation. That means as we raise our children, we have this understanding of the need to set them apart for the life that God has them. We make sure that every day, every day we're teaching them the truth about God and the truth about God's word because our goal is to raise them to know God and to love God and to honor God all the days of their lives. And we see that, so much of that in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And here's the deal, friends. When I first sat down to write this message, I honestly thought that I would come up with a list of like four or five, maybe even six different things that would fit under the heading of the sermon title, What Children Need Most, from the book of Proverbs. I, I was thinking things like, like safety and, and formation and boundaries and purpose and legacy and all these things, because I can find a verse in the book of Proverbs to support all of those things. But the more I read my Bible, the more I thought about this message, the more I prayerfully put it together, I realized that there's really only one thing that needs to be shared in this message, only one point when it comes to what children need most. And that's this. What children need the most is the fear of the Lord. The thing that you and I as parents need to pass on to our children more 
than anything else is the fear of the Lord. I know that might sound odd because we have such a negative concept of that word fear in our world today, in our culture today, and rightly so, so much of the time. But I want you to look at a couple of verses from the book of Proverbs that use those words, and we'll talk about them for a moment. First, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 says, the fear, everyone say fear, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. And then a little bit later in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, in both of those words, both of those verses, the word fear is the Hebrew word yira. Yira. You can see it there on the screen. And the best definitions for that word are reverence and awe. But having said that, we need to understand today that those words reverence and awe continue to have a connection to the traditional definition of fear because one of the reasons why we fear someone or one of the reasons why we, we, we fear something in the, re, in the sense of reverence or, or awe is because we recognize how great they are and how small we are. We view God with reverence and awe because he is the creator and we are the creation. Vast difference. We view God with reverence and awe because he is holy, absolutely holy and pure in every way, and we're sinful. We view God with reverence and awe because he is omnipotent. That means he is all-powerful, and we are weak, and we are frail. And so here's a great definition of what it means to fear the Lord. This is the definition that we'll use as we think about this, this truth that what children need the most from their parents is to learn the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is this. To fear the Lord is to know him and see him as he is and respond accordingly. I thought about a lot of different definitions for the fear of the Lord. I read a lot of different definitions for the fear of the Lord this past week, but this is the one that resonates with me the most because it is so simple and because it is so clear. To fear the Lord is to know and see him as he is and respond accordingly. I think about the story in John chapter 20 of how after Jesus' crucifixion, the disciples were in a room in Jerusalem and they were behind locked doors and locked windows for fear of what might happen next. And in John chapter 20, we're told that all of a sudden, Jesus appeared to them and he spoke these words, peace be with you. And he showed them the wounds in his hands and he showed them the wound in his side from the spear that the Roman soldier thrust into his side to see if he was dead. But the disciple Thomas, if you remember the story, wasn't there when it happened. And when he came back later and the rest of the disciples told them that Jesus was alive, that he was here, that we saw him, that we talked to him, he refused to believe it. In fact, in John chapter 20 and verse 25, the latter part of the verse, he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. That's why, or that's part of the reason why we call him Doubting Thomas. But you pick it up, and in John chapter 20, verse 26, it goes on to say this. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Same thing. But then he said to Thomas, he immediately turned his attention to Thomas and said, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Now, you know what that was? That was... 
Thomas seeing Jesus, the risen Jesus, for the very first time in his life for exactly who he was. That was him knowing and seeing Jesus for the first time in his life exactly who he was. Not an ordinary man, not just a rabbi, not just a teacher, but literally God standing in front of him in human flesh. And how did he respond? He said, my Lord and my God. That's the fear of the Lord. That's what we read about in that story. And this is what we need to pass on to our children. This is what my children, my grandchildren, what your children, your grandchildren need the most in this world. They need to learn and live with the fear of the Lord. I think that most parents today if they were honest, would have to admit that they spend a great deal of their time and energy, maybe not all, but a great deal of their time and energy trying to make make sure their children have the best life possible in this world. In this world. We don't want our children to fall behind. We don't want our children to be left behind. We don't want our children to miss out on any experience and on and on and on. But I will tell you today that the absolute conviction of my heart is that it's the fear of the Lord that will produce the best possible life for your children, the best possible life that anyone could ever live including your children, because it will be the fear of the Lord that will compel them to live every single part of their life surrendered to the will of God. Let me tell you what the book of Proverbs has to say about the fear of the Lord. We'll start with one verse that we've already read, Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs 10-27 says, the fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Proverbs 14, 26 and 27 says, he who fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for his children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life turning a man from the snares of death. Proverbs 15, 16 says, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Proverbs 16, 6 says, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. Proverbs 19.23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, listen to this, untouched by trouble. Proverbs 22.4, humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. Proverbs 23.17 says, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Now that's just a partial list. Here's what we just read. The fear of the Lord can lead to knowledge, to length of life, to security, to protection, to contentment, to the avoidance of evil, to trouble, to wealth, to the knowledge of how to handle wealth, to honor, and to life. Let me hear your pages. If you've still got your Bible open to Proverbs chapter one, let me hear your page turn to Proverbs chapter two. Just to Proverbs chapter two. One of the verses that we just read a moment ago was Proverbs chapter nine and verse 10 that says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Everyone say wisdom, wisdom. 
and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And one of the things that you discover when you study the book of Proverbs, especially with regard to the fear of the Lord, is that the fear of the Lord and wisdom go hand in hand. The fear of the Lord and wisdom are inseparable. They are inseparably linked. And we see that again in Proverbs chapter two. I'm just gonna start reading in verse one. I want you to follow along. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, look at the next thing. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord and wisdom are inseparably linked. And find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. And then beginning in verse 9, just look at the benefits that come from this wisdom that is inseparably linked to the fear of the Lord. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse when, who leave rather the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. It will save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward life with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God for her house leads down to death and her path to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the path of life. And then look at how it ends. Thus you will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the path of the righteous for the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. Now let me ask you a question. When you see all the things that wisdom, which again is inseparably linked to the fear of the Lord, when you see all of the things that wisdom provides, isn't that exactly what you want and what you pray for for your children? And Proverbs says, this only happens. This wisdom only comes and guides and guards and protects and blesses our lives when we live with the fear of the Lord. When you look at the world that we live in today, a world that is so much more challenging for you if you are parents of small children than it was for me and Sandy when we were parents of our children when they were small and so much more challenging than it was when I was small. When you look at the world today and you think about guiding your children and protecting your children and guarding your children oftentimes from mistakes that can carry with it lifelong consequences. Don't you see the value of teaching your children the fear of the Lord which brings wisdom into their lives? And this fear of the Lord is dramatically different, friends, from any other kind of fear that you can identify in the world. And here's why. Because the fear of the Lord causes you to run to God. It doesn't cause you to run away from him. We're, when we identify things in the world that we're afraid of, we run from those things. But when we live with the fear of the Lord, we run to the Lord. 
Let me describe that to you on a practical level. Because I want to tell you something. If you don't remember anything else I've said today, especially if you're a parent of small children today, then you remember this. It's the fear of the Lord that can set your children apart for great victory and help them live remarkable lives. If you want that for your children, if you want their lives to be marked by victory, if you want their lives to be remarkable, I'm telling you today, it's the fear of the Lord that will lead them to that kind of a life. Because it was the fear of the Lord that caused David to walk down into the valley of Elah to face the giant Goliath. Some of you have been with me to the Holy Land and you've been with me. We've walked down into the valley of Elah and we've stood there in that valley and we've looked at both sides and we've looked at the side and you can almost imagine in your mind the army of Israel quaking and shaking in fear every day when Goliath, the giant Philistine, would walk down and challenge someone to come and fight him. But nobody would do it until David, who was just a boy, showed up with provision for his brothers and he heard the challenge and it was the fear of the Lord that caused him to walk down to the valley of Ella to say to Solomon, I don't, or to uh, Saul, I don't need the armor. I don't need your armor. I don't need your sword. He took a slingshot and he found five smooth stones and he won a great victory for God that day. And it, it was the fear of the Lord that caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to stay on their feet. When the music began to play, and Nebuchadnezzar had instructed everyone in Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were just probably teenage boys, who had been carried off from the land of Judah to the land of Babylon as slaves, as captives. And King Nebuchadnezzar had built a 90-foot-tall gold idol on the plain of Dura and given an instruction that as soon as the music began to play, everyone, everyone was to bow down. And if you didn't bow down, you were going to be thrown into a blazing furnace. You remember the story in the book of Daniel? The music began to play. Everyone bowed except those three. And it was the fear of the Lord that caused them to stand on their feet, to stay on their feet. And they even said, listen, if the blazing furnace is our, is our consequence, then the God that we serve is able to, serve, to save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. And it was the fear of the Lord that caused Joseph who was just a boy when he was sold into slavery by his brothers who hated him and found himself in the land of Egypt purchased by an Egyptian ruler named Potiphar and so trusted by Potiphar that he put him in charge of every single part of his household without even giving it a second thought. But it was the fear of the Lord that caused Joseph to remain chaste and honorable when Mrs. Potiphar turned her seductive eye on him and tried multiple times to draw him into a sexual relationship with her. Even to the point one time of, of, of setting up a, a, a kind of a surprise attack, as it were, on Joseph, but he was so committed to, to being true to the word of God that he ran from her, leaving a part of his cloak in her hand. And if you remember the story, as it's told in Genesis chapter 39, at one point when she tried to tempt him into this sexual relationship, this is what he said, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against Potiphar? No, against God. It was the fear of the Lord that caused him to make that choice and to live with that conviction. And I could go on because the Bible is literally filled with example after example after example, but I'll stop right there. What children 
what our children, what your children need most today is the fear of the Lord because it will guide them, it will guard them, it will protect them, and listen to me, it will bless their lives all the days of their life. So how do we do it? How do we pass on the fear of the Lord to our children? For many of us, how do we pass on or how do we help contribute to that passing on the fear of the Lord to our grandchildren? Let me leave you with three really simple thoughts. We pray for our children daily. Not every now and then, but daily. We pray for our children. We pray for our grandchildren every single day. We pray for their salvation. We pray for their lifelong faithfulness to the Lord. We pray for their spiritual growth. We pray for discernment in the way we parent them or in the way their parents parent them. We pray for discernment in the things that, are, that their parents say yes to and the things that their parents have the courage to say no to. We pray that their parents would be good stewards, that we as their parents or that their parents would be good stewards of the time they have with their children. Number two, we make learning and applying the truth of God's word a priority, priority in our lives and in their lives. There are two passages in the book of Deuteronomy that stand out to me. Deuteronomy was a book written by Moses. It was basically... Moses came to the end of his life. He was 120 years old. God had told him he was not going to be allowed the privilege of leading the Israelites into the promised land, but he had one last opportunity to share his heart with the Israelites before Joshua led them into the promised land. And these two passages, these two uh, passages that he spoke stand out to me. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 10, he said, remember the day you stood, he's speaking to all the people, remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, assemble the people before me. Note this, to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. Gosh, that is such a responsibility that you have as a parent. To teach the truth of God's word to your children. And you know, we have a great children's ministry. We have a great middle school ministry. We have a great high school ministry. Our, our, our entire next-gen ministry is, is off the charts good. You'd be hard-pressed to find another church that had better leaders in those ministries, but it's not their responsibility primarily. It's yours. And you have so much more time and so much more influence with your children than we do. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 Verses that probably many will recognize. It's what's called the Shema for the Israelites, for the Jewish people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And then he says, impress them on your children. How do you do that? He says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. That sounds like all day, every day to me. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on the, your foreheads. Write them. On the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And then number three. Make sure your life reflects the fear of the Lord in a genuine and noticeable way. If you're a parent, and it really doesn't matter how old your children are. I mean, it's so important when they're young. And just because they're in their formative years, but this doesn't go away just because they're grown. 
Make sure your life reflects the fear of the Lord in a genuine and noticeable way. Here's a powerful verse from Proverbs that we read earlier. Proverbs 14, 26 says, he who fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for his children, it will be a refuge. Let's read it one more time. Let me hear your voices as you read it with me. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for his children, it will be a refuge. The most important thing we can give to our children is the fear of the Lord. And we're gonna close our service a little bit different than we normally do. I hope when you walked in, you picked up one of these cards. It's a perforated card. On the top it says, Family Values, which is our series title. Then Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And then it has this quote, Lord, I place the names of these children at the foot of the cross with a prayer that the fear of the Lord will guide and protect them all the days of their lives. Help me to be a living example for them all the days of my life. And what I'm gonna encourage you to do is I'm gonna encourage you to write the names of children on this bottom section of the card. It could be your children, your grandchildren. It could be nieces and nephews, any child that you know and love and care about that you have a relationship with. And I don't care how old they are. It doesn't matter how old they are. And when the team comes in just a moment and begins to lead us in a closing time of worship, I'm gonna invite you to come down in an act of remembrance remembrance of this challenge, of this truth, of this need, and an act of remembrance, something that you can remember the rest of your life, I want you to place the names of those children at the foot of the cross. We have two crosses down here, and there are two crosses at the either side of the balcony upstairs. If you're in the balcony and you want to come down, that's fine. But I'm going to challenge you to do that. And I'm going to challenge you to renew your commitment to be the kind of father and the kind of mother, the kind of grandfather and grandmother, the kind of aunt and uncle, the kind of friend, the kind of mentor, the kind of leader that our children need the most. Someone who will model for them and teach them the power and the blessing of the fear of the Lord. Lord, thank you for our time of study, and I, I pray that you convict and challenge our hearts and that we respond accordingly. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.